what interests me and what I love about the concept is the broader ideas about being able to have a small space that's your own and then having shared spaces within the community and relying on each other and the city. Welcome to UQ Changemakers, a podcast series where we interview some of the most influential and inspiring members of the UQ community. My name is Belinda McDougall. And I'm Katie Rowney. In this space-saving and self-sustaining episode, we chat with architecture graduate Lara Noble. Lara and her partner Andrew Carter co-founded the Tiny House Company and their beautiful and clever designs are laying the foundations for sustainable and affordable housing options across Australia. Lara, welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, take us all the way back to the beginning. How did you ever get interested or start thinking about tiny houses? Well, I guess one of the kind of joke reasons we say is to make the world a better place. But the reality is, of course, with any of those things, a lot more complex. We had uh, the right skill set. We'd done architecture and we transitioned into carpentry. So I'm a carpenter and my partner's an apprentice carpenter. And our mate, who I did my apprenticeship with, Greg Thornton, he's also a co-founder of the company. He, he's a builder of 20 years. I guess Andrew and I had an interest in the more social side of architecture and also having moved from architecture to carpentry, our income was not very great. Um, So I guess there was the personal interest side of like the great Australian dream and how home ownership is sort of part of our DNA, but it's also so difficult to achieve, especially if you make life decisions that make it more complex. So all these factors led us to go to the tiny house conference in Portland. Um, And that's pretty much where we decided, look, we're going to give it a crack. So that's the kind of the preamble to why we decided to go down that path of designing tiny houses on trailers for the Australian climate. Because as an architecture graduate, uh, all I could envisage is you want to design grand spaces. So big buildings, big homes, and you've done the complete opposite. Yeah, I think um, when I first did a internship, even before I began first year architecture, I went to an office and they set me up with some pen and paper and said, design a house. And I think the house was like many pages wide and pools here and rooms and offices. Like it was just this castle mansion thing. But I think that as you go through, progress through architecture, you realise that's not necessarily and quite often is not clever design. Um, it, it happens more in the finer moments of a building or an idea. I think we're kind of quite interested in the ideas as well as the, the built form. Um, and that's kind of where it gets more interesting. And then in that case, it's sort of the size doesn't matter. You can create a space that can perform so many different functions if done well. And it can be also almost lazy to just make things bigger. So you said over there in Portland, you had that moment where you said, let's give it a go. Yeah, well, Greg and I were there because we were invited. Um, Andrew was at home working and Greg and I were like, we were like, would we regret not trying to build a tiny house and we decided yes we would regret not giving it a go and that's I guess when we decided we sort of came home and informed Andrew. (laughs) (laughs) So do you start with a teeny tiny contract or what do you what did you do to get this business going? So someone did ask us to build the first one for them but we 
decided we didn't want to do that. We wanted to take the risk on ourselves because there's a fair bit of risk in we didn't know how to design the trailer. We didn't know how what the rules and regulations surrounding tiny houses and movement on the road. We didn't know how the building would perform um, travelling around. We we had so much to learn about it and because it's quite an investment of time and money and energy, we decided we wanted to build the first one off our own backs. So we scrounged up all our money and chipped it in and we built the first design, which we ended up living in for a couple of years and it travelled around a lot and put on display and led to the future builds. And we did end up building some for that client. So um, he got the benefit of us having given everything a crack first. So that was kind of good. Did you grow up in a smaller home yourself or do you come from a big property and and this is just a concept that appeals? Um, No, I grew up in inner city Brisbane um, in Highgate Hill, if you know Brisbane. Um, My folks have a very old house, a little cottage, they call it. It's not tiny. It had two bedrooms. Um, I'm one of three. So we did share rooms throughout growing up. My parents also used to get homestay guests. So we'd have people from all over the world instead of, they said, I think this is just an excuse, but they said, (laughs) we'll bring the world to you because we couldn't go on overseas trips. But, um, but so there was often, it was a very full house because my dad is a picture framer under the house. So there's customers coming through all the time. Then there was us three kids and mum upstairs, plus usually two others. And then about 10 years ago or more, they built a little granny flat down the back, which brought another two people on the property. So it was a high intensity space. It wasn't tiny, but the house was not big either. So I guess that ability to share, there was just the one bathroom. There's none of this like extra spaces. You just learned how to adapt in the space, you know? You'd be like, you'd leave the door unlocked if you're having a shower because someone might have to dash in and use the toilet. And that was kind of normal. Um, some people, I guess, are used to a different kind of setup. So it's, you can adjust to that. And I don't think I'm too scarred from that experience. <laughs> <laughs> and where did you meet Andrew? Because obviously you've got a shared passion here, um, not just in work, but in, in other life points. Where did you two come together originally? Um, well, we both studied architecture here at UQ. Um, like, I think we met at a party. I'm pretty sure we did. But <laughs> I think we were friends for a long time before we were going out. And then I did an exchange to Berlin. Um, and then he came over and we hung out in Europe for a year. While you were spending that time in Europe and you mentioned that you'd gone to Portland as well, did you see any tiny houses in those spaces that inspired you? Yeah, I guess um, without knowing it, it had, even during uni, some of those ideas had been coming to the fore. Um, in Berlin, we lived in a small one-room apartment, um, which we absolutely loved. It had a two-square-metre deck or, like, patio. Um, uh, we, I also did an, a study tour to Japan, with UQ, um, some of the professors there, and we looked at micro um, houses, so small space living. I think the Japanese are quite good at um, designing some of those spaces, especially like vertically. So they'll use vertical space well. So what is it that you like about tiny houses? Um, <laughs> to be honest, this kind of bores the tiny house 
um, community because there's quite a movement around tiny houses and groups and but from my point of view (laughs) what interests me and what I love about the concept is the broader ideas about being able to have a small space that's your own and then having shared spaces within the community and relying on each other and the city and um, beyond just your little plot which you need I guess for security and um, privacy you need a space whether it's the size of a tiny house or the size of a McMansion I think people need a space of their own but I think people tend to think that that needs to encompass everything when you can look to the parks or to the cinemas or to the local pools or to your city or to your, you know, the local pub for music and for all these other things and that can enhance life. And it kind of gets, you can boil it down and I think those ideas interest me a lot. But of course also the challenge of designing within a, a box, small spaces, was also interesting, something that travels on the road. I mean, there's lots of layers to it, but, yeah, considering it's such a small thing, there's quite a lot of ideas that come into it you we've been talking about tiny houses but I suppose anyone that hasn't seen your tiny house or tiny houses can you describe the actual space can you put it into something that we might be able to relate to via the airwaves Um, I can try it's built on a trailer it's two and a half meters by seven and a half approximately Um, so that's two car parking spaces end to end um, it has to be that size to be able to be towed on the road because it has a number plate. Essentially, it's a glorified caravan, um, but our tiny houses are really quite beautiful. They have a high space inside. Um, that The first one we did had a loft at one end, so you'd come in these beautiful recycled timber doors, and then we had a kitchen bench in, well, it was sort of a multi-use bench space in front of you with windows um to the right there was a lounge there's a lounge space with a whole wall of storage um about half a meter deep and floor to ceiling and then with an old housemaid and us we designed a hoisting bed on a um an electric so you flick a switch or push a remote and the bed lowers down from the ceiling The ceiling's really high, which is the key difference aside from the materiality to a caravan. So caravans, the main priority is that it can be towed on the road easily. A tiny house, no. You would not do a trip around Australia in a tiny house. Uh, Aside from the fuel you'd waste. But (laughs) imagine bumping into Emerald with (laughs) No. (laughs) Um, But then at the far end, we had a toilet. So it's basically everything, toilet and shower, everything that you'd need in a house is shower, toilet, sink, washing machine, fridge, you know, kitchen space, bed, clothes storage, space to dine, space to have coffee. Like it had everything, um, but there are lots of the spaces overlapped functions. So our dining table was also our office table where we designed tiny houses. Like we, the, the best feature of that first tiny house was, I think, the deck. We designed a modular deck. So it took us two and a half hours to set up or pack down. Um, so it's transportable, I guess, flat pack, but it used lots of beautiful recycled timbers. It had a deck roof and gutter, and, a, and it really expanded the space of the tiny house because it was another two and a half metres by four metres. We worked really hard to 
make it feel a lot bigger than it is. And that's what people say when they step in it. And that was done through various techniques like the high ceilings, as I mentioned, but also the views. So having like long views through the house and views into the landscape beyond. And also, of course, good storage is important in a small space. Well, that was going to be my next question because I'm one of those people, everything has a place, cannot stand stuff out on benches and things like that. And you achieved it in the tiniest space I can imagine. What sort of clever things did you have to either do or think about to to create that? Because it had to be a livable space, not just a holiday house. Yeah, for us, we decided that it would have to be, we wanted to be able to design something that you could live in full time. That's not to say you couldn't use a tiny house as a getaway or, um, but yeah, um, I guess having ample storage and then not having heaps of stuff is the combo. It's like that sweet spot. We actually had more storage than we needed in our tiny house because we didn't have a lot of stuff. Um, We came from 10 years of living in big share houses with like up to seven or eight people in them and then um, found out we were going to have a baby and then the housemate said no newborns in this share house. So that's how we ended up moving into the tiny house. But as a result, we never, we didn't really own a lot of furniture, a lot of stuff. And my mum works at a thrift shop. So there was like, I was just like, well, I only need four towels. We don't need 30 towels. Like, you know, so we're pretty good at minimising what we actually needed. And I think when when you sort of do an inventory of your stuff, you even even sometimes people who say, oh, there wouldn't be enough space for my clothes. Well, that's a fair enough, like criticism but sometimes when they look at their clothes they might say well actually I don't even wear all of them that often I could halve it um, and still look great every day Um, but also if that's an important thing too and it's worth the sacrifice of space then you just have less pots and pans you know if you want to have so that was one thing we were saying that a tiny house shouldn't mean that you have to be so minimalistic that you don't have space for your hobbies. We still had a record player, like speakers. We still had space for things that we thought important. So I think that's just the challenge that people have to do if they want to live in a small space. But as you said, like a place for everything, that's the key and being able to clear stuff away quickly so you don't have clutter all around you. I was just trying to picture myself on one and I'm quite tall. I know that my walking span is about a metre. So for me, I can Mm. go end to end your house in about eight steps or something like that, which is pretty amazing. Um, How did you go moving from share housing with presumably a lot of shared space to putting your life into that, that smaller house? You've done a couple of years in it. Did you find there were any particular challenges you hadn't thought of? Um, to be honest, we really loved it when it was the two of us. Um, like most, like a lot of people, we were out a lot of the day. We were at work. Um, when, we, when we weren't at work, we just loved the space. We designed it. It had our stuff. That was important for us too, to have space that we could put our pictures and the things that we like to look at. So not just having on show like possum pants, having all that stored away and then like beautiful things around us. And we had the garden around us, which we'd planted out beautifully. Um, and then there was the deck space as a breakout space. Um, that, it worked really well for us. 
it's not to say it would work for everyone. Um, Andrew, who's a lot taller than me, would he didn't find it tight height-wise because it does have very high ceilings, higher than a normal house. Um, and the bathroom was very functional. The kitchen worked great. Um, we didn't have any of any issues like that. One thing that we had to adapt to in terms of how, learning how to live in it was um, bench spaces and, like, dumping zones had, had to be processed. Like, you couldn't just let dishes pile up, which was sort of a bit of a habit in share houses. Not by me. Sure. <laughs> just to, no. Andrew, are you listening? <laughs> no. It just, like, it just, you end up putting stuff away quickly. Everything has its place and you work on something and then you move to the next thing that you're working on. Another thing we had to adapt to was the, the way our tiny house was set up. It was half off grid, sort of. So we had a grey water recycling and a composting toilet and the composting toilet we had to learn a little bit how how to use it functioned great a huge fan I was like sad when I had to go back to a flush toilet um and but it we had to adjust to it and learn how to use it and same with the grey water system too you have to use special detergents and you can't just use like the shampoo that foams up and up which is kind of really nice it was like this <laughs> dodgy shampoo. Yeah, yeah, just little things. But and what ended up prompting you to move out of that tiny house? Um, our one and a half year old, a tiny person. Yes, a tiny person. <laughs> we hadn't designed the tiny house for um, us as a family. That wasn't even on the cards, and also we hadn't necessarily designed the tiny house for us to live in either. Um, it was a an experiment and a test of an idea, something to put out there to the market to interested people. I know there are people that do do family life in a tiny house and that's awesome, like good on them and probably also a different design, tiny house as well. But, um, but I think the thing with tiny houses is that people <laughs> sometimes think that I think that they're like the greatest thing in the world, but they're actually something that doesn't suit everyone at every point in their life. It's sort of, they're very versatile and very flexible, but I mean, they're no, it's no good having a wheelchair in a tiny house. There's no good having, like, they're only going to su- suit certain people at certain times in their life for certain functions. And that's just the reality of them. And I think that diversity in our housing stock is, is important to have because they are perfect for s- some situations. And it became a little bit less than perfect for us, the three of us. I was quite surprised how um, beautiful it was designed. It, it really is. It's got that architecture design feel to it. Um, there's nothing kitschy in it. It's got that sort of Scandi finish. It looked amazing. So it didn't look like a doll's house. It looked functional. Um, but you talk about the tiny house movement uh, that they are becoming popular. Can you explain that? Because I think some people wouldn't realise that there is this movement worldwide to downsize into these compact, wonderful, um, tiny homes? I guess the tiny house movement, as I understand it, came out of um, the global financial crisis in America. Um, A lot of people lost their homes and a lot of people had to reevaluate their finances, their mortgage, what what was important in life. Um, 
It should be noted, though, that the idea of living in small spaces is not new and it's certainly not an American-owned idea. It's just the the kind of the concept of the tiny house movement and the tiny house on wheels, or they call RVs or recreational vehicles. So that kind of gathered momentum and, and gained interest in America um, around then. And I guess it brings together a lot of ideas of sustainability about, like, what you know, what's what you value in life, time, money. Um, it brings together ideas of like minimalism um, and so on and so forth. So I guess uh, through that idea and a few leaders in America putting ideas out there with that and building them, there's sort of some kind of movement around it. And I guess it gain, it's, gains interest and becomes a bit trendy as people are trying to consider their options. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it means for Australia. I think there's interest, um, but we have also different conditions and situations. Um, for example, like when we went to the conference in Portland, we looked at the tiny houses and with a critical eye and we realised that none of the ones that we'd seen there were suitable for our conditions and situation. And that kind of was another driver for us to come home and design an Australian version what would suit us here, um, what what differs between what the American um, situation is and what ours is. What do you see your tiny houses being used for? I mean, what, what do you envisage um, is your market with your tiny house? Um, our tiny houses are pretty flexible by design, especially the latest models that we've done. Um, people have been using them instead of an extension to the house, so a flexible option to gain an extra bedroom or an extra space um, for extra accommodation for dependents, whether it be teenage kids or elderly parents. People use it as a holiday home, getaway, parked up somewhere beautiful. Um, people have been using it as a study studio space, um, so many different options. Um, people have been using it as a rental. Some people use it on rural properties because it's an easier way to have a place that you can live in uh, up front early, like off grid, and then potentially down the track save and build your bigger house and then turn that into something that can either be sold off separately or um, you know, bring in some revenue. Uh, some people like the idea of them purely because that's the amount of space they feel that they want and need and they can manage it well and carefully. They can be more sustainable within that space and um, build their life around that. I guess there is a limit to, to who it can suit, but there's a, there's a lot of um, options within the idea of a tiny house on wheels because of, of the fact that it can be transported. So one lady came to us saying that she's got kids in three different states and she wants to spend a year with one and then go live in the backyard of the other. And I was like, have they checked? <laughs> Are you sure they've checked this with them? Nah. So that kind of an idea when people haven't 100% settled on a place as well. Um, fly in, fly out workers to have a space where they can, just a small space where they come home to that's their home, but then they're not there that often anyway. They're flying in, flying out. Um, yeah, they are quite flexible. One of the things you said in your TED talk that I really liked was, um, I believe physical environments enforce habits. Did you notice that any of your habits changed when you moved into the, the tiny house? Yeah, I think 
I think that's one of the valuable things that tiny houses can offer us, whether we, whether it's the tiny house on wheels version or whether it's a smaller apartment or, you know, a, a townhouse or thinking about the size of our housing. I think, yes, it does enforce habits because, like, I love, you know, swimming, but I don't need my own pool. That kind of, that idea of, like, what, you know, having a garden space that we had a beautiful garden that we built around our tiny house, but it wasn't ours. It was shared with the owner of the block and someone else. And they, you become like better at negotiating and living with other people, not just the ones in your tiny house, but the people at the local coffee shop or that kind of becoming more a part of the community maybe. So I think those habits about being more considerate and kind of, working on that like give and take kind of a relationship like you know with the owner of the the block like you know can we park our motorbike under your house um you know sure no but he was he's amazing you know park it under there no problems and then you know when we were doing some gardening we'd mow the lawn no just that kind of like building relationships to make life better for everyone I think that's one of the habits but then of course the habits of you know, using eco um, soaps and suds and being conscious of the waste you produce because you don't have a big, huge garbage bin. So when you bring something into the tiny house in packets and boxes and you're really conscious of it because if you, you know, buy a fan and it comes in a box that's the size of the fan, (laughs) once you've unpacked it, you've got this big thing in the space. You're like, yeah, there's so much rubbish in here. Get that out. You, well, you touched on sustainability. I found that really interesting because even the simplest thing, I think you go down to the shopping centre and um, you are buying either the groceries or you see some shoes on sale. You really had to think twice before you purchased anything. Did you notice things like that, that your spending went down or um, you know your electricity usage went down, all those sort of um, things? Yeah, definitely. Financially, it's a, a really kind of Good tiny bank. house way to, <laughs> to live. Yeah, your electricity bill goes down because you only have a couple of lights and you're charging your laptop and you're not, you know, air conditioning a big space or um, our water usage really good with the composting toilet. It's just such a shame. It's like I think it's thirty or 40,000 litres a year that we flush drinking water, which is crazy. Um, and... Yeah, you are more conscious of what you buy. Like, you're like, do I really need that? Or do I just want it right now? Or, you know, sometimes I would think there was something coming up or I'd want a nice dress and call my sister, hey, have you got something I can wear just for the night? Or I've got these shoes, but I don't have a top that I, you know. And she's totally happy. She's got heaps of stuff. She's like, yeah, come around, come around. You can try some stuff on and, you know. And it's not even just a matter of being stingy because if I wanted to get something, I could and I would and I'd just have to send something else away, throw something else out. Or That was kind of one of the rules is like if I bring a new something in, something else leaves. So, um, but, yeah, it does, it does do that. When you were here, even finishing up your degree, is this the path that you thought you'd be on now? No, no. Um, I no, I wouldn't have guessed. In fact, I was super into large public spaces. 
public squares is what I studied and that was that well actually the small spaces on the edge of squares like the the thresholds between like a shop and a that was of of real interest like urban planning kind of stuff um but I think the idea of a home was also of interest especially like yeah no I wouldn't have guessed this is a short answer no but (laughs) I didn't go straight into that I did the carpentry apprenticeship um so I was on site building and learning how buildings go together and detailing and that side of things and then that led to these other things that led to that path so it was a good merge of those skills and who knows maybe I'll go back into public squares later but you know public square full of tiny houses who knows (laughs) 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 if someone was thinking about investing in a tiny house what kind of outlay could they expect to budget for Um, we've got a a new tiny house that's complete like ready to plug in and live in that we're selling for 79,000 that's there's a few other companies around Australia that are building and selling tiny houses. Um, that's around the the mark, approximately. Some are a little less, some are a little more. It depends on what's included, I guess. Um, some tiny house companies or builders will also offer a shell. So we're doing a shell for 49000 which is, yeah, just to lock up. Um, and then people, because I think a part of the tiny house movement is the DIY side of it, and that's kind of how we've worked around, yeah, so people want to kit it out how they want because they want to, you know, make it, it. personalised. It's a small space and not everything is going to blanket solution, everything from a rental Airbnb, a student accommodation to an elderly, you know, grandparent in the backyard people need to be able to turn the space into what they want but then also a lot of people that get trying to get into it for um, cost effectiveness so of course uh, one of the things of that is a cost that the, the tiny house starts with is the trailer which is a reasonably expensive component how many people have you fit in your tiny house oh, about 30 that's including the deck, obviously, because it's a beautiful deck. Ah, oh, I think there was, I think that was a bit of a challenge. We actually had 30 in the house, but that was, I think, during Woodford or something. We had everyone crammed, because there's a loft, so we had a few kids. And then we had <laughs> people, one in the shower, and I think we got There's there. a bit of piggybacking to yep. that vertical <laughs> space here. Yep. It sounds like clowns in the mini or the clown car. They just keep coming out. <laughs> What's next for you and the tiny house company? What's your next goal you're working towards? We've been looking at a few options. Um, we've got this new one that we put out onto the market. So we've got a couple of events. There's Brisbane Open House that we're taking it to, a few sustainable housing events. Um, so we're going to take it around and show it off a bit. Um, so being able to build now that we've invested in a display model of that type being able to um, get a few of those across the line is a priority. But also we've been looking at some other designs for a granny flat that's not on wheels that we can assemble efficiently and cheaply, but that just gives that bit of extra width for people who and brings it lower to the ground so that it can look at more... Um, I guess it opens up suitability for more people. So accessible, yeah, it's, yeah, 
it's less flexible, but it's more accessible. A lot more people can imagine themselves in a in a small house that has a bedroom. So being able to provide a bedroom and then everything that the tiny house has in still a very compact space but and a top-quality build and design because they don't need the trailer. So looking at that kind of um, uh, an offering to the market. Although there are there is stuff out there on the market and we wouldn't claim to be able to do it any better, but just coming from our angle with the transportability and the modular um, nature of what we've got, just putting something else out there and seeing seeing what comes of that. There's a great potential with these tiny homes, both the transportable ones and the stationary ones, to look into creating change in issues like homelessness or disaster relief or um, providing a more off-grid possibility for people that might not want to be a part of a city. Is that something you guys have looked into? Yeah, we have. We've been involved in a whole bunch of conferences and um, discussions around with Q Shelter and other um, housing providers around looking at um, housing for those that really need it. Um, there's still a way to go with that, but I think that there's a space in within that where tiny houses can help. So I do believe in that. Um, it's just there's so many factors and being able to make it work and that's what it's it's taken it takes a while but I guess that good steps have been going forward disaster relief as well um, I guess the tiny houses have the ability to be able to be brought in and taken out so they can be even if they're in an area of flood prone they might be able to be removed in time or you know or be put where they're most required so they do have that um, capacity. Um, it's just about where the investment is and um, what people are looking at on like a broader view of it. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that we need to look at some options for those those situations that are not, that are something that have, you know, dignity and style and class and a lovely lifestyle. And a well-designed, good insulation. Like, no, I'm not just talking about well-designed as in, like, they look pretty. I'm talking about, like, a quality home because that's the starting point. That has been well-proven. That is the starting point for people getting their lives back on track too and being able to have a safe place that, you know, they can be. Um, so, yeah, there are people who've done some work in that. We've done a lot of work um, talking to people, but... To be honest, at this stage, what's all I can say is talk. There's nothing that we've built yet that can, you know, provide for those needs yet. But, you know, soon, maybe. <laughs> so you have an unlimited budget. <laughs> what do you put in your tiny house? Unlimited budget and engineering and architectural <laughs> wizards at your disposal. What do you put in there? Uh, friendly people. <laughs> no, I did. I didn't provide you with nice humans. I just, gave, I just gave you money and skills. What would you put in there? I think I would put design energy, and even though that can account to cost, it doesn't always have to. I think just carefully considering how the space is thought through and designed. That's more important than any like um, gold tap fittings or expensive tiles or you know, hardwood floors or any of that. And it's like more important that things are um, carefully thought through how the space is used 
um, yeah, I think the deck is a really nice breakout space. It's pretty essential. Mm. But um, Especially yeah. for that Australian lifestyle too. Yeah, subtropical Queensland or, you know, north or even even down south it gets warm too. People need to be able to break out from that onto something. Um. So we've reached the end of the episode, but before we go, we've got a tiny segment that we call Spare Change, in which we get to know you a little bit better with some rapid fire questions. So are you ready? Yep. Okay, so here we go. First one is, what's the one fact that listeners wouldn't know about you? Um, In that TEDx talk that we were talking about, I was so nervous um, I almost, I froze up and I pretty much almost couldn't keep going. I think they cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the one question that you're sick of being asked? Well, actually, it's a really good question, but it doesn't take away the fact I'm sick of being asked. Does the house come with the trailer? The tiny house is built on the trailer, yes. It comes with the trailer. The whole point of it. Yeah. Um, if you could go back in time by 10 years, what advice would you give your younger self? Well, I, I don't know because it's hard. I like looking what's next and I like looking forward. And a lot of the time when I make decisions, I don't like to think about the how things could have gone the other way. So I probably wouldn't even give myself any advice so if that a, makes sense it's not sort a of sliding like, doors type person no it's just like well I, that's the way that went um so i don't really have much advice like it'd be kind of like you took some chances this maybe you could have done some stuff better but you didn't do it that good whatever you're here just go with i don't the know fly. yeah it is a bit like that so i don't have much advice maybe i would say when people say that having a kid will change your life and you won't be able to do all the hiking and climbing that you thought you'd be able to listen to them because it's true. <laughs> but I don't know if that would have meant that I I still probably would have had her. So. There you go. <laughs> so speaking of um, things like that, who or what is your biggest influence in life? Um, I'm going to have to wrap a couple of people into one. My folks and Andrew, my partner. And the littlest influence now. My littlest influence, yeah. She's little Charlie. She um, she influences too many minutes of my life in a nice way, though. <laughs> um, now this is the tough one that most people get stuck on. But if you had to choose a piece of music that would best describe you, which song would you play? I'm not sure that this would be the one that would best describe me, but on the spot, I'll go with Pink Floyd's album "Wish You Were Here." That's the end of another episode of UQ Changemakers. If you want to learn more about the Tiny House Company, visit our website at uq.edu.au forward slash changemakers, where you can also subscribe to Changemakers magazine. I'm Belinda McDougall. And I'm Katie Rowney. Our podcast was produced by Michael Jones and Jessica McGore. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends or colleagues, leave a review on iTunes or email us at changemakers at uq.edu.au. If you want to create change, tune in next time when we interview another inspiring member of the UQ community. Thanks for listening.